0: Just remain standing for a second or two, and I want to begin uh, this morning as I get into the message with a word of prayer. Would you bow with me? Father, as we come into 2019, we pray, Father, that you would just breathe upon us uh, a, a wind of change, a wind of freshness, that this day could be like starting the first day, when everything was new and fresh when your church began and people looked all around and they saw you moving and they knew it was different and father you just expect that every day as we posture ourselves to you and we pray that we can continually look at the new mercies of each day and trust that each day is another page in the story that you're writing and that we are open to everything that you're doing. And I pray that as we attend to your word right now, that you would just help to write, that you just begin writing in our hearts and lives. That new chapter. We surrender ourselves to you, trusting that your spirit will just lead us through it. And so, bless the word, bless this series, bless everyone here, Lord, as we each bring whatever it is that is on our heart before you and surrender it to you and trust that in return you will fill us and not disappoint. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. We are beginning a brand new message series entitled start here, and it's really a depiction of how it is that we attend to the path that we're called to live on. And uh, last week, uh, uh, my friend Steve Elkins filled in for me and just kicked it off with uh, a hard look at how it is that the Bible is an important guide in the whole, in the whole, in the whole journey. Uh, and it's also, uh, for pastors, it is international pastors take the first day of January off. And so, a lot of us after December, we're pretty exhausted, and we take that opportunity to take some time off and get away, and, and recharge. Uh, so, we uh, three three of my family members uh, went down to Asheville, North Carolina, and just checked out for a while. Have you ever heard the old adage, "A change of of pace and a, or a change of place and a change of pace equals a change of perspective"? Well, that's that's essentially what we were looking for and uh, it's always nice to get away and then come back and then have a, a fresh look at everything and and you kind of wish that could stay with you but the fact is uh, the memories kind of fade and you get caught up in the moment and then here you are and for 365 days in the, in the year of 2019 of our Lord uh, we will begin each day trusting that God is somehow involved in the process and our role here is to help you to see how that works and the series is really designed to give you some things to ponder as you look at the year and as you ask god what are you doing in this year in in my life in my family in my relationships in my world and hopefully as we attend to a part of the sermon on the mount that jesus gave we can uh, come up with uh, some things that will guide us, a a map, if you will. Uh, When we traveled down to Asheville, North Carolina, nobody warned me, and I I should have have known this, when I looked on my phone and I typed in Asheville, North Carolina, and then the map said, this is how you go. uh, I didn't realize that they designed the saw after the highway that goes through West Virginia. Did you know that? Because it's just like this and this and this and this. And so all the way down through the middle of West Virginia, it was like this and this and this and this, which was kind of fun if you're the driver. But if you're looking around at the passengers and their color changes from sort of a healthy pink to uh, 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 kind of a gray blue, you know that the road is not treating them very well. Well, we did make it down there and everything in the interior of our car is intact And it was good to get away and get refreshed. But you know, when you look at the map, it's never like what you think the territory is going to actually be. It's just a a depiction of what to expect. It gives you some ideas on what's on the road ahead. And that's the best that Jesus could do for the people that he was offering this, really, this, this new way of looking at life to. You see, Jesus came to earth. He had a mission to take all the people that felt so disconnected from God because of all the barriers that had been set up that were keeping them from coming close and give them a means that radically changed how they understood what it meant to be a believer and a follower of God. And he kicks it off on a mount. And if you know the Bible story you know that a lot of things happen on mountains and one of them that is significant is when God called his people out of Egypt into, uh, into being as their own nation. He gave a, a, a prophet named Moses the responsibility of guiding these people through this, through this path that they would be called to follow. And Moses did something significant that just stuck in their mind so much that it changed their view of how they looked at life. And that was the giving of the law and the Ten Commandments. And it was a way of saying these sort of describe what it means to live a life if you're going to follow this path. And many people took it seriously. Other people said, I can believe in God and not follow that path, but it was to their peril. And when Jesus came on the scene, he had discovered that the guidebook, the GPS, the map, the law, had actually become the thing that people were worshiping. It would be no different than me typing in Jesus on my phone and then looking at a picture or the name and then start worshiping my phone. And in, in essence when people were following the Lord in Jesus's time it was, it was weird because instinctively they said the religious establishment surrounding the temple in the form of priests and teachers and other people that were responsible for carrying the word of God into the lives of other people, well, they've made it so convoluted that no one can access it. And it felt kind of like maybe you felt coming to church sometimes, hopefully not this church, but the expectations were so high that you, you sense that what I'm wearing, the condition of my soul, my story, I'm not really good enough to be in this place. And maybe you want to worship God, but you feel, well, you feel kind of pushed off to the margin. And the goal for Jesus was to take all those people who are longing to be a part of something that was inside of them, an expectation, a hope, a desire, a longing for God, and to just bring it right into their lives front and center. Maybe that's you as well. Maybe you're saying, I do long for God. I'm not sure about the church. I've heard good and bad regarding the church and I don't know if that's the place for me. Most of the people in this room understand that 100%. And that's why this particular worship service is happening. But we also know that like the people that Jesus was speaking to on that, on that little mount out in the country, that little retreat where everybody, everybody and their cousins said Jesus is going to go and he's going to say something very powerful. And they went and they listened and they realized that this is nothing less than Moses giving the law on Mount Sinai. And they clung to every word. And Matthew recorded this whole sermon and it's in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. But what I want to look at today really is the bottom line stuff that he, 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 he brought the whole sermon into conclusion with. And those things for the next four weeks are going to be what you and I need to look at. And they start with a, a, a verse from uh, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And he says this, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy. That leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard. That leads to life. And those who find it are few. But when they heard this, they're thinking, where are you going with this, Jesus? I I see you kind of laid out the, the, the map, but we really don't know personally how this applies to our lives. Well, in other settings, Jesus said, If you want to know about that gate and you want to know about that way, John writes in chapter 10, Jesus is the gate and he is the way. And people step back and they scratch their head and they're like, we've never seen it played out that way. We've always believed that the teachings that would lead us to God were encased in a word and we had to elevate that word, which is all true. But the word became an end within itself and then it became distorted and then it became alienating to people who were trying to find God through it. And there were just a few that said, we're the ones who can rightly and responsibly read the word and communicate the word, so hands off. And then there's people like you and I saying, we just want to follow God. We just want to know some ground-level instructions on how to follow the path. And when Jesus said all of these things, he he was saying that, here's the problem. It isn't that you're on a path because all of you guys are on a path. And let's just go ahead and show a slide of that for a second. The problem is, we're not even sure if the path is going to lead us to the right destination. And many of us have wrapped our minds around certain things that we value highly. And we followed the path of those things to a degree that after a while they, they lost their luster. They no longer fulfilled us. They weren't the promise that we thought that they had, they had bundled into them. And while we were in, in Asheville, North Carolina, everybody said, when you go down there, you need to go to the Biltmore Estate. Has any, have any of you ever been to the Biltmore Estate? Okay. Well, that's what it looks like uh, in, during Christmas. That's kind of what we saw. There's a couple of things about this that I, I think you need to be made aware of. A third generation Vanderbilt who had lots of money and lots of time Decided that he wanted to build the largest house and estate in the country, and so prior to him coming into into, into his own, he had a great grandfather, George Washington Vanderbilt, who sort of scoped out Asheville, and then George's son became a railroad magnate who was really responsible uh, with a couple other people of making sure that everyone could go everywhere in the United States whenever they wanted to via rail. And he made a lot of money off of it. So much so that if you say the name Rockefeller or Carnegie, then you got to say Vanderbilt as well. Just more money than you could ever imagine. It would be equivalent to the Bill Gates's. And the Mark Zuckerbergs and the Elon Musks of today, or Jeff Bezos, those were the guys of that era. But here's the question, where did, where, where, where did this family land? Because you see, as you look at that house, it's beautiful, but it's a, it's a showpiece. And it's been a showpiece since 1938. Matter of fact, the house was built in 1895. And guess how long it was occupied, a house like that. And it's huge, and it's gorgeous. And it's a house that you would think that if somebody lived in that house, they would be living in it for generations. And you go inside, and you're like, man, this just blows me away. Yet this house, the largest one on American or United States soil, was only lived in for 50 years, maybe a couple generations at best built up by a trust baby who had enough vision to steal a designs from somewhere in France and plop it right down in the Great Smoky Mountains. And it's beautiful, it's gorgeous. But there's something about it that's not even sustainable. And as awesome as something like that is, it's almost like it over promises, but underdelivers. If you look at an aerial view of this house, you'll see this beautiful square in front of it that is like a mall. And you won't see that Christmas tree. Now interestingly enough, I had a plant expert with me, and this is what he said about that tree when he looked closely. He said, I, they make it look like it's been planted there because it's a real tree. But it's not, because it's leaning a little bit, and it's dying. And I'm like, you mean it's fake? You mean it's not a real tree there? And he's like, yeah, it's not real. I said, do you want to go push it over? (laughs) And then we decided that we'd try to have some fun other ways. Well, the point being, here you have this family that has access to pretty much Uh, the most amount of power in the world and resources. They're from that gilded age. And yet, where are they now? Because after Cornelius Vanderbilt, guess who came next? You know any Vanderbilts? Anybody grow up in the 70s or 80s? Gloria Vanderbilt? Okay, so now we've got Jeans. And then after that, there's another Vanderbilt who's just a news anchor. You know who that is? Anderson Cooper. So that's kind of where it ends. And you're thinking, why wasn't that sustainable? And then Jesus shows up on the scene in contrast, because that's really what this is. It's a, it's, it's a series of contrasts. And he gives, in all of his poverty, only one thing. And that is a means by which we can access to God. And he tells it in a sermon that was probably much longer than the one I'm going to give you today. And people just, they they were on the edge of, well, whatever they were sitting on. And as they were hearing these words, wheels were turning and they recognized something that, God is not so much about the substance of the law, which he truly is because it defines so many things about him, but it really is a signpost to something greater, and that's him. And when Jesus said, broad is the gate that leads to destruction, but narrow is the path that leads to life, he wasn't wasn't saying that if you just follow this particular set of coordinates that you plug into your phone, it will get you there but rather he was saying, which is something that we didn't have the whole time, he's saying, but I will lead you. I will guide you. Because you've been following something in your heart that is of great value, but it's somehow disappointed. It could be the pursuit of uh, of wealth like the Vanderbilts. And as I was walking through all of the opulence of what these guys had, I thought... Would, would I want a house like this? Would you want a house like that? Now, let's be honest. Would you like to have a house like that? Because careful what you wish for. Because anything like that that is going to last takes a lot of work. Takes a lot of energy. A lot of sustainability. And the fact is, uh, the only way that it is even a thing is that as you go into their gate, they will pick your pocket of 65 bucks. And if there's three of you, it's 65 times three. Well, if you get a million and a half people getting their pockets picked along the way, then you can keep it going. But that's about it. You see, there is something about wealth that is the backside of it that we don't always see, and that is with a lot of wealth comes a lot of responsibility and a lot of people who are trying to bend your ear. And so some people followed that road and they said, starts out good but there's a dark side on the backside it ends up becoming your 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 taskmaster maybe you've taken something and you've said i do in my work i find a lot of satisfaction out of that but what you discover is even though you're following your passion in your work or your calling that you have days where it's more glass half empty than half full And you may even have days where you're like, this isn't even interesting anymore. And you may have days where you're scratching your head and you're saying, I did this, I love this, I oriented my whole life around it, but at the expense of time and energy to my family and other things, it's left me empty. And when Jesus was looking at the people in front of him, he was saying, these are not bad people, but they have longed for God for a long time. They've been disconnected from the things of God because of the religious establishment. They've also been oppressed by the heavy-handedness of the Romans. And so they've just kind of turned inward and made their own little stories and just tried to eke out an existence the best they could. Find some pleasure in your job and that's about it. Their expectations were pretty low. When Jesus showed up, all of a sudden everything changed because he wasn't saying it like they had always heard it but he was offering it in a way that made sense. I mean, we're, we're a culture that probably isn't that good at relationships other than maybe ones we curate online that are a, a digital alter ego but what Jesus was saying is I want a relationship with you And when you start down this path, you're actually following me one step at a time, one day at a time. And if you can just keep that straight, that in everything you do, you have me in focus. That you bring me into that experience. That whatever you do, whether you travel, whether you work, whether you come to church, whether you're just shooting the breeze with somebody, just invite me in. Make me a part of it. And that will lead you into the path that is narrow. It's not a hard path in that sense, but it is a challenging path because there are obstacles and things like that that you'll face along the way, and that's by design. So when you look at a trust baby with all those resources and plenty of time, it's no wonder that the family didn't have the grit to sustain it. Because God recognizes something in you and I. If it's going to be meaningful. And it's going to make a difference. And if it's going to change us and transform us. It's going to have to be somewhat challenging. So let's go to the next slide. As Jesus um, defined who he was. He said there is no other name under heaven. And it was a statement from Acts. It was a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. And it was a way of Saying in, in other words, this is the path. There is no other name but Jesus, and he's—it's a clue about how we proceed. Well, let's go on, and it requires one thing of us in the 21st century, and that is taking time to reflect. Now, have you ever looked in the in the in the side mirror of your of your vehicle? What does it say at the bottom? Objects are. Smaller, bigger. What does your say? You remember? Closer. Closer. Yeah. Closer than you think. And you know, you can you can look at that a number of ways. But what is happening underneath the surface of your life impacts what you do in your life a lot more than you realize. And Jesus is calling these people to stop reflect, and to think about what's happening to push the pause button on on their lives. But here's why I think people have a struggle with Christianity right now is that it requires that from us. It requires us to turn our phone off, turn our computers off, to turn off the pings and the bings and the things that are prompting us that say you are socially engineered to come here right now, so you must. And if you don't, you should feel bad And it's just another way for technology to say, over here, I'm your God, and then ping and bing and essentially reduce us down to a lesser humanity by making us no different than Pavlov's dog. Are you familiar with Pavlov's dog? You know, you ring the bell and the dog comes. You don't ring the bell, the dog doesn't come, or you ring the bell and food happens, and you don't ring the bell and no food happens. And it's just a way of saying there's a stimulus and there's a response. And Jesus is like, you're not stimulus and response people. You're people made in God's image who by necessity, because of sin, out of the gate, you'll start worshiping something, but it's not the right thing. And out of the gate, you'll start thinking this is a good path, but it turns out to be not a good path. And out of the gate, you think you're wise, and all of a sudden you wake up one day, and you're completely depleted and empty. And so what Jesus says is, you have to stop, and you have to basically reprogram your thinking with who it is that you think God is, and where it is that God is leading you to. And as God is leading you in that direction what he wants to do in your life along the way. Anybody ever been hiking before? A few of you have risked hiking, braved it. And you start out with a 50-pound pack, and you've got a 20-mile hike. And a couple of miles is not bad, but by around mile 5, you're thinking, what? What can I get rid of, Right? You're, you're just doing the inventory. You're like, yeah, I don't need that shovel after all. Um, I don't need. I don't need that. Um, I don't need my. Well, you wouldn't say this, but you know, you would say, I really wish I hadn't taken that laptop along. I really wish I wouldn't taken that box of uh, of wrenches and screwdrivers and things like that. And you're just thinking of all the stuff you don't need. And what happens to the hiker is they look at that journey. And they start to clarify what it is that's important and what's not important. And along the way, they hope that at the end they will be transformed. And chances are they will because they struggle along the way with rain and and varmints and um, inclines and fatigue and muscle cramping and on and on it goes. All of which are designed to actually make you feel really good about yourself at the end of the journey. And in the Christian way of life, There's all of those things and more. And we may feel like we come to church, it's 2019, and we're going to change our lives and change our direction. And I think that's good to change what you do, change your behavior, change your habits. But what Jesus is talking about is something even a step more radical. It is about transformation of who you were as an idolater to who you can be as a person redeemed and reflecting God's glory and image in a way that brings you deep and rich satisfaction despite everything. And you know how the transformation happens? It's not so much about change as it is about just getting rid of stuff. Finding stuff in your life that's actually holding you back. And just saying, I don't need that anymore. I don't want that anymore. Because where I'm going... It's just tripping me up. And, you know, it could be that you're starting out and you're saying, you know, I spend too much time watching movies. I spend too much time online. I spend too much time at the coffee shop or I'm too focused on being too selfish. And God may be saying to you, why don't we just prune that out and redirect you a little bit and just begin to walk down the path. As you reflect a little bit, this is what happens. Let's go to the next slide. We start to do inventory and we say, okay, I'm learning some things about God that seem to be critical for the journey. Am I saved? Check. Am I baptized? Check. Am I partnered with other people along the way because we need other people? Check or not check? Am I part of a community of people that can help me to stay strong? Because I don't know about you, I don't hike alone, I hike with other people because we we nudge each other along the way. Am I spending some quiet time during the course of the day? Am I stepping back and saying, all right, this day's a fresh day, it's a new day, your mercies are new every morning. I don't want this to be like day, day 200 feeling. I want it to be fresh and new. Then you take some time and you read the word and you ask God to speak to you through the word and you enable that process to bring you close to him as a person relationally are you growing and perhaps one of the best ways to grow is to just begin to shed things from your life things that you know in your heart are not good for you or not going to be useful along the way Are you praying? Are you talking to the Lord? Are you asking God at every turn, God, are you with me? Can you speak through me? Can you use me? Am I fighting sin? Because really, as you saw the map and the guy going up the hill to the wrong summit, it was his way of just missing the mark. It was wrapping his life and his mind around something that, well, it's not going to last. Now, I think, you know, the Vanderbilt house will last for a long time as long as you have pockets to pick along the way. It's a great sustainability mechanism. But it's not a a vision of going somewhere. It's just how you stay alive. And with God, it's always about going somewhere. It's always about hope. You see, God's people had for centuries embedded in their hearts and mind the story of Abraham and Moses and King David and the promises that they were given and the hope that it was creating in the lives of the people that were tuned into the story and were being written into the pages of the storyline. And they, well, they hit a wall. And they said, the story just didn't pan out the way we thought it would. And some people said, I believe in God, but don't know that the story's true. And in all of that cynicism, Jesus shows up. Now, do you know what cynicism is? It's a way of looking at stuff going on around you and saying, the things that God promises and the things I'm seeing, they're not happening. They're not getting underway. They're not doing what God said they would do. And then cynicism becomes really the only safe place. It's like, at least I can, I can believe in my doubt. And Jesus, when he came on the scene, he said, I want to train you to understand how to do this road because it's not going to be easy, but it's going to be worthwhile. God's going to be in the picture, but he's not always going to be clearly perceived. Let's go on to the next one. And, 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 and this is just a continuation of, those, of, the, of that list for 2019. Am I using my gifts? Am I tithing? Am I sharing my faith? Am I mentoring people or do I have a mentor? Am I being sacrificial? Am I becoming more? And you can just put a question mark behind the more if you want. And let's move on. The obstacles, they'll be there. But they're there by design. Jesus, when he lived his life here on earth, continually faced opposition and obstacles that you wouldn't expect to happen for somebody who's going to bring a fresh word. But the obstacles became so great that it cost him his life. It may or may not cost us our lives along the way, but we need to trust that the obstacles will come. But what if they come? What do we do? And here's the thing I'd love to tell everyone who comes up out of the baptistry. They will come, and when they do you got to trust God. So let's move on. It's a process of overcoming obstacles that God uses to grow our faith. Now, when we went to Asheville, North Carolina, one of the things that probably was more of a highlight for me than anything was the places you had to eat. So we went to, what was it, Magic Mushroom Pizza, only it wasn't what you think, uh, we went to some kind of funky taco place, very hipsterish. And we just, just sampled all these places. I can't wait to get my credit card bill. And I got in the car on the last day and I'm like, oh man, my clothes aren't fitting me anymore. And I got home and I'm like, I, I'm, I don't feel so good. And so I s- repented by spending 30 minutes on the treadmill And then another 15. And then I did the same thing the next day. And then the next day. And then finally I'm like, was it worth it? And it was interesting that I only felt good from working out, not necessarily from eating all that rich food. And yet God is looking at our lives and he's saying, yeah, you can take the rich stuff and you can take it in and it'll all be good, but there's a price on the back end. Or you can do the workout. You can face the obstacle, the resistance, the thing that will put you in that sharp place that you need to be. But whatever obstacle you face, and it could be just resistance at work, it could be just something in your own life that you're working through, it could be that you are, um, you're looking at um, uh, opportunities or something like that, but you can't connect the dots, obstacles will come. Later on, you may find that you have a health scare and you say, that's an obstacle, I'm wondering, God, are you there? And at every turn, Jesus is saying, Just follow me one step in front of the other. And I will get you through this. Don't panic. Don't look to the right or the left. Just keep looking at me. And your faith will grow. Because through those obstacles, you'll become dependent. Let's move on. Because not only are there obstacles, but there are actually dark forces at work behind the scene that want to keep us in those places that we're trying to escape from. Those places that are lesser gods, those things that we want to worship, that the enemy, the dark malevolent forces that are in the unseen realm, are perfectly content for us to stay in that location. Matter of fact, sometimes when people start following Jesus, the obstacles get larger. Because now we're a threat to those dark forces rather than caught up in them. But don't be discouraged. Because one of the things that Jesus didn't elaborate too much on on the Sermon on the Mount was that he's got an answer for that as well. And you will run into them. And when you do, take comfort in knowing that I've overcome even that and I will get you through it. So let's move on. Jesus said... I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He'll go in and go out and find pasture. What does it mean to be saved? It means to be delivered from the sins that keep us captive. It means also to be transferred from, out from under the authority of the prince of this world into the authority of the one who came to redeem the world. God isn't going to redeem us if we don't want it. And so sometimes he just lets us be discontent and following another path until the discontentment overwhelms us so much that we say, is there a better answer? And many times that's when Jesus shows up and you realize, yeah, I need... I need something deeper than just a change. I need a transformation. And the transformation begins first of all with a transfer from the realm of darkness to the canopy of the authority of the kingdom of God. And it is underneath that canopy of his protective care and his deliverance and his salvation that we find ourselves in the process of being transformed by being in the world but not of the world. Yet I can assure you, after 35 years of being a pastor, I see that broad road every day. And I see that narrow gate. And I have to make that choice, just like you do, to go through that narrow gate. And I'm so thankful that there is a community of people that support me whenever I do, because I honestly don't think I'd make it on my own. Are you guys familiar with the Amish concept of the rumspringa? Do you know what that is? Okay, some of you are smiling Maybe you're out of that community, I don't know, and you've been there. I honestly didn't know that was a thing until we moved out from South Africa to the little country church in, in Illinois. And when we did, practically the first or second night we were there, because it was right on the periphery of the Amish community, we had Amish, an Amish buggy go by about 11.30 at night. And it was blaring Guns and Roses. And they were clearly it, inebriated. And I looked at Mandy and I said, a lot of things have changed since we've left the country. And, and, and then later on, we were kind of led into what that was all about. Because what would happen is the Amish would, from ages 18, 19, 20, they would just say, you know what? If you want to act like the English, go act like the English. And so they let them go. So the Amish get in their buggies, young young boys and young men and and women, go into town, go into a discreet place, change out of all their Amish gear, put on English gear like we got on, and then go to the bars and go to the places where there's dancing and carrying on and just live it up. And then when they're done, they go back to that discreet place, put their Amish gear back on, crank up the ACDC, And off you go, hopefully the horses will get us back home because we shouldn't be driving this thing. But what happens to 99% of the Amish? What do they do? They end up coming back to their community. But I'm thinking, you just had the wide gate and you're going back to the narrow gate, why? Because I think after a few years of doing that, they figure out that on the backside of all of that charm, is a price. It's disconnectedness from things that sustain you. From God, from your community, and probably some confusion in yourself because you no longer have a story that you're part of. And a lot of people say, you know what? It's not worth it. And Jesus is looking everyone square in the eye in that setting and he's saying, Is it really worth it? Where you been? Or are you looking for a new way and a new day? And a lot of them would probably raise their hand and say, yeah, we've had our own rumspringa. And honestly, a little rumspringa goes a long way. And we want something that the rumspringa promises but can never offer. And Jesus said, I'm the way. Let's move on because we're, we're landing the plane here. We have to reflect along the way on the scripture, on what God is doing. And we've got to think about what's happening just below the surface when we do. Is God leading me into obedience? Is he leading me into a new way of understanding? And I would say he's even going a little bit further by giving us the spirit and leading us into a better posture towards the people around us and God by enabling us to bear the fruit of His Spirit. Am I learning from the things that I go through? I certainly hope so, because there's nothing worse than trying a whole bunch of new experiences and never learning from them. Or having a series of setbacks and never realizing that embedded in those setbacks was a means by which we could grow closer to God and grow grow as, as believers. And then recognize that when the Painful part of the path happens. God's, he's working. He's working. He's doing something. He's doing something that you could never do on your own. You can change, but you can never transform on your own without him working through all of this. But you have to stay on the path. And those of us who've been on the path for a while realize that's just how God does it. And we stick with it. Because we have confidence in it. Because we've seen that's how he works. And along the way, we've seen changes happen in us that are for the better. Well, as we come to this part of the, of the message series, and we look at how all of that can happen, we come full circle to the fact that it begins, it begins with God. God. And some of you have been saying, you know, I've been waiting on him in my time of adversity and obstacles and time of barrenness, and I have to trust that he's growing me. And others have said, I've been waiting on him, but I haven't been quite sure how to connect with him. And this is where we wanna help you out because I think the next slide says it best. Here we are. And here God is. And then in the middle is something that makes it not work. And that is our disorientation, our sin, our, our our own moral compass, our own set of right and wrongs, our own things that we have elevated to the status of God in our lives, keeping us from seeing God. And it may be that like if you, if, 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 if you just portioned my chest into nine blocks, you know, like a, uh, like a Rubik's Cube, and, and you looked at each of those blocks as something that was established in my life that I've elevated to the status of God or a sin that I've allowed to just grow and develop in a way that is keeping me from him. And what God does is he comes into our life and he says, I want to take each of those blocks and I want to replace whatever you've put there with myself. And so we have this lifelong process of just getting rid of things that we put in the place of God or that keep us from God. And every time we do, God rushes in with a fresh wind And he begins to fill us even more. And the more that we shed, the more he fills us. And for some of us, we just got to get out of the starting gate and say, God, I've left no space for you whatsoever. And I want to open myself up to you. And the first step along the path is just sort of a palms up spirit of surrender. God, I want you to come into my life and to begin to transform me. I surrender my life to you. I surrender the rights of my life to you. And in so doing, he transfers you out of the one who otherwise would lay claim to your life into his domain. And then he just puts us on the path. And the whole purpose of the path is to take each of those blocks and through a series of obstacles and challenges and things that we face in life, teaching us to value him more than them. It's not to say he's going to take all the good stuff out of our lives. He's just going to take the stuff out of our lives that's keeping him from being a part of our lives, from filling our lives, so that everything else will come back into order. Now, you can't really sell this in some way that has lots of bells and whistles and stars because it's not that attractive. But there are some of us in the room who've said, I've been down the road of bells and whistles and stars and it's good on the front end, but like the rump springer, there's a hangover on the back end and it's not worth it. I need delivered from that. And Jesus is the way. He's the only way. He's the only one that can do it. And then he's the one who He says, You want to know what it's all about? You want to know the bottom line? You want to know what the secret is to this whole way that I'm teaching you? Two words. Follow me. Follow me. Into your work in the morning, back home in the evening, into every conversation, into every situation, into every challenge. Just follow me. And I'll show you how God can make you into a different person along the way. And we carry that hope in our heart till the end of the journey. And when we get there, like any good hike, we're not the same person we were when we started. And it just begins with one step. And I don't know where you're at on this journey. Maybe you haven't taken that step. And I would ask you if you haven't, to start now, to just begin to move into him. To say, Lord, I'm here to follow you. And you can do that by coming up during this time or going to the studio after the service or putting on your connect card. However it is that you feel God is leading you, we want to be able to respond to that. But the next thing I want to do is just take some time to reflect. And instead of um, uh, you know, doing anything dramatic or fancy and invitation-wise, when the, when, when the time for communion rolls around, my only plea for you is to look at the loaf and look at the cup and look at your heart and then ask God, God, where are the things in my life that are obstacles for you? And if you have the courage, God, give me the ability to take what's in there that's not about you And replace it with those things that are. As we conclude this time, would you bow with me? Father, we give you thanks for what you're doing in each life here. We thank you, Father, for helping us by your spirit to see things that are spiritually discerned. We pray, Father, that your word would not return void. But rather the broadness of the broad path would be revealed in all of the things that are that are the negative aspects that we don't normally see up front, and the, and the rightness of the narrow path would be clarified so that we could recognize that that is the way, that's the way by your design that we become the people that you've designed us to be. And I want to lift everyone up here who is seeking you that through the course of what we are doing in this series, we could draw closer. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.